It's a big offseason for the Orioles. I know you've got questions, so we are hanging out here on a Tuesday night for a little live mailbag, live chat episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. So get all your questions in the chat, and we'll get to them coming up next on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, December 12th, 2023, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, things are a little loose here on a Tuesday night at the Locked On Orioles podcast, our third live edition of the pod in the last couple of weeks and decided to just open up the mailbag. Did a mailbag episode on Monday. Make sure to go back and check that one out if you haven't already. But figured, hey, there's some people who come up with questions in the moment, just want to discuss things about the Orioles. So that's what we're going to do tonight. For about 30 or so minutes, just talk about the O's and answer a lot of your questions. Calling it a live chat, a live mailbag, whatever you would like to do. But that's coming up on this episode. Again, if you have Orioles questions, just put them in the chat right here. If you're watching on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And then leave a comment, and I'll put your question up, and we will answer it. And of course, if you are listening to this after the fact, I'll read out all the questions. We'll get to a lot of topics here on tonight's episode. But should be fun as we will kick things off with a question here from Patrick to open up the mailbag. And Patrick says, what is the status of Mike Elias's contract? Now, I talked about this a little bit. The Orioles are super secretive about the status of contracts for anyone besides the players. We don't know the status of Brandon Hyde's contract. We don't know the status of Mike Elias's contract. We don't know the status of really anyone in the front office or on the coaching staff. All we know is that everybody is signed through at least 2024. Beyond that, we don't know. Now, we can make an educated guess that Mike Elias is signed through well beyond 2024. But in the same way the Orioles don't like to give out multi-year contracts, as we've seen to any free agents, they're not giving out a lot of multi-year contracts to people inside the organization, it would seem, either. And I would guess he's at least through 2025, but... You just don't know. But what I will tell you is, if Mike Elias wants to stay in Baltimore, John Angelos is going to keep him in Baltimore as the GM and president of baseball ops and whatever the job title is for as long as Elias wants because Mike Elias is carrying out John Angelos' vision. Put a good team on the field for the least amount of money possible. And as they did in 2023, Elias did a great job of that. So as long as he wants to stay here, He's going to be here and not basically become a free agent, I wouldn't think, at any point. Next question is from Dante and Kyler. Do you think that it is likely the Orioles do nothing in terms of starting pitching, not only because they haven't shown anything in the way of multi-year deals, but also with all of the lease nonsense? Yes, there is a lot of lease nonsense. Uh, might answer some questions about that tonight, but stay tuned later in the week for a full kind of what's going on with the lease episode here on the podcast. But... I would say, and I answered something similar to this on yesterday's episode, I would say it's very unlikely the Orioles do absolutely nothing in terms of starting pitching. Now, if you're saying nothing would include a, a one-year deal for a veteran who's a five-starter at best, then yeah, maybe that's nothing. But I said it yesterday, at the very least, the Orioles are going to bring in a number four, number five type veteran starter on a one-year deal just to round out the rotation. At the very least, they're going to find a replacement for Kyle Gibson. Like, that is the 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 
bar that they're going to at least cross here. And I know I talk about, you know, you shouldn't take a lot of what Mike Elias says at face value, but he's talked about pretty candidly, hey, we're looking for a starter and a reliever this offseason. After they signed Craig Kimbrell, he said, we've got our reliever. Now we turn our full attention to getting a starter. And the Orioles are in talks with the White Sox for a Dylan Cease trade. We're not sure, you know, what is going to happen there. The White Sox are asking for a lot. We learned their ask from the Reds and from the Dodgers in those talks, and it was a lot of prospect capital. Not sure if the Orioles want to give that up. And in terms of paying players in free agency, the O's have still yet to give out a multi-year contract. The one-year $13 million deal for Craig Kimbrell is the most money they've given out to any free agent since Mike Elias took over. I still doubt they're giving out more than two years to anyone, and it takes more than two years to get a lot of these free agent starters. But I will say, at the very least, a Michael Lorenzen, a Hunjin Ryu... Uh, someone like that is coming in on a one-year deal at the very least. I think it's highly unlikely that they would do nothing and just go in with this exact pitching staff into spring training. And this kind of takes me right into Jacob's question here, which is, are the Orioles going to make a major move for a top-end starting pitcher or dumpster dive for another four or five back-end guy and go with Kyle Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez at the top? Now, this is kind of the continuation of the question from Dante and Kyler. I would... At this point, unfortunately, I would lean towards they go for a four or five guy. Now, I wouldn't call it exactly dumpster diving because I think the guy who they'll bring in will actually have a higher upside than Kyle Gibson did. I think Kyle Gibson was a slight upgrade over Jordan Lyles, and I think at the very least, whoever they bring in this year on a one-year deal will be a slight upgrade over Kyle Gibson. Again, I think a guy like Ryu has a higher ceiling than Gibson, and I'd like to see the Orioles maybe target him. Maybe even a Tyler Malley who might not be ready on opening day, but shortly into the season could be good to go. That would be an interesting guy to go and get who was really good with the Twins and the Reds before his injury. But I would say it's more likely they just go after a guy on a one-year deal who's a veteran, eats innings at the back of the rotation rather than make the big deal because they're not making the big deal in terms of signing a free agent. Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Yamamoto, even Shoto Amanaga, that is not happening. The O's just aren't dishing out that kind of money. Now, it could be a trade, right? It could be a Corbin Burns. It could be a Dylan Cease. It could be a Shane Bieber. That could certainly happen. I just think... They like what they have in Bradish and Rodriguez, and I do too. They've got Means and Kramer behind him. You've got Cole Irvin and Tyler Wells and maybe even D.L. Hall as depth. You just add a number five guy in there, and you feel good going into spring training. I, I, I really do think that's what they're going to do. Another question from Jacob here. Do you think extensions get done with Gunner and Adley this season or next or ever? I'm going to say at this point, it doesn't happen with either of them this offseason. I know that Scott Boris was asked a question about it at the winter meetings, who is the agent for both Gunnar Henderson and Jackson Holiday, and he said that the Orioles reach out to him once or twice a day concerning extensions for both of those players. Scott Boris is usually exaggerating. I don't think Mike Elias is calling him every single day to talk extensions with those guys, but I believe they've at least checked in and they haven't been complete radio silence. Mike guess would be that Adley will be a little easier to extend than Gunner. He will probably cost less money because he's going to hit free agency a little later in his life, just age-wise. He's going to be a little more worn down because he is a catcher. And also, Adley is not a Scott Boris client, and Gunner is. Scott Boris clients don't like, you know, it's not like he never. Scott Boris takes an extension for his client. He certainly has in the past. But you got to pay at or above market value on an extension to get a Scott Boris client to sign. So I'd say Adley is much more likely Ever is a tough question. I mean, I would hope it happens at some point. I'll say Adley, yes, Gunner, no, but neither of them happen this offseason. 
Question from Chris here. Will the Orioles remain in Baltimore? Yes. Uh, all this Lee stuff is crazy. And again, we will get to all of it later this week on the podcast. But in terms of will they remain in Baltimore? Yes, they will find a way. You know, We'll talk about it later this week. But if they don't get something signed by December 31st, the lease deadline, which seems to be unlikely at this point that they do anything by then. Hayes Gardner had some good reporting in the Baltimore Sun. Essentially, they're going to go month to month, it would seem, with like short-term leases to give them more time to try and sign something. And at the very least, they might do a one- or two-year extension that pushes them to December of next year, or even December of 2025, with remaining with the current status of the lease they're on right now to give them more time to negotiate, and the O's will continue to play here. Yeah, I know there's always that little doubt in your mind, like, will John Angelos try and move this team to Nashville where the man literally lives? I just don't think it's going to happen. And, you know, if David Rubenstein were to be the buyer, he would certainly keep the team here. And I just think there's so much money here for the team. John Angels is trying to get every single cent out of the state and the taxpayer that he can. But that's happening here. And I do think the worry shouldn't be, will they stay? The worry should be, I mean, how is this all going to end at this point? And just let's let's get a lease signed at this point. That's That's kind of where we're at. Another question coming up here. Scouts Den has the question here. Samuel Basayo, Slam Basayo, kind of like that nickname, is going to be the number one prospect in baseball later this year if he does well in Norfolk. We'll see. I mean, there's a lot of the other great prospects in the league. That would be four straight number one prospects for the good guys. That is true. Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Jackson Holiday, and Samuel Basayo, if it happened. Should he be off limits in a trade scenario? Now, I answered a question kind of similar to this in an earlier mailbag this offseason, talking about who is untouchable. And for me, I said there's only one untouchable prospect, and I said that is Jackson Holiday at this very moment. Now, if this time next year, Samuel Basayo is the number one prospect in baseball, which could be possible, I would probably move him into the untouchable category because if he's that good, that means he lit up Bowie and probably lit up Norfolk and showed he can catch and at least somewhat stick at that position to catch two or three times a week at the big league level. That would make him super valuable and I'd put him at untouchable. I'm not going to put him untouchable now just to say that if you can go get a long controllable ace and it takes Samuel Basayo, I would still pull the trigger on a deal like that. We got plenty more Orioles questions to get to. Keep the questions coming in the chat. I will continue to get to them here on this live mailbag episode of the podcast coming up next. But first, this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. The Ravens won again. That was one of the crazier wins we've seen in a while. Who knew that Tylen Wallace was going to have a moment like that for the Ravens this year? But he certainly scored to win the game in overtime, and you can score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 just if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, parlays, over-unders, and much much, much more. You can pretty much log on to the FanDuel app and just get everything you need right there. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. So we're back here on a live chat, live mailbag episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. Remember, put your questions in the chat here and we will get to them. Our next question comes from Scouts Den again, who 
asked a couple of different questions, but I'll put up kind of his projected lineup for the end of next year, asking, is this lineup possible near the end of the 2024 season? Adley Rutschman catching, Samuel Basayo at first, Jackson Holiday at second, Gunnar Henderson at short, Kobe Mayo at third, Colton Kowser in left, Cedric Mullins in center, and Heston Kerstad in right. We don't have a DH there. I'll throw Ryan Mountcastle in as the DH for that lineup. It's possible, right? But I'm going to say not super probable. I don't think Samuel Basayo gets to the big leagues this year. I, I just don't see it happening. And with Ryan Mountcastle and Ryan O'Hearn and, and you know, Heston Kerstad going to be on this roster too, it's not going to be space for Basayo to take over as the first baseman down the stretch, especially if this O's team is completing for a playoff spot. The rest of it, though, I could see. I would say the second most likely on there is Kobe Mayo at third base. I just think there's so many more infield options that he may not get to that point by the end of the season, but definitely a possible lineup. All-Star Sky with our next question. What Oriole do you think will have the most impact on this upcoming season? I'm going to say Grayson Rodriguez. I think Kyle Bradish had the breakout, looks like an ace season in 2023. That could be Grayson Rodriguez in 24. And if Bradish just continues to do what he can do, and Rodriguez gets to the next level, which is where he's trending, the O's have a critical one-two punch at the top of the rotation that they have not had in a long, long time. That kind of starting pitching could make or break the Orioles' season, especially if they don't go out and get some sort of ace-type starting pitcher. Speaking of starting pitchers, John with a question, who are some potential starting pitcher trade targets outside of Dylan Cease and Corbin Burns? Those two guys are the main guys. Cease from the White Sox, really great a couple years ago. Not as good this year. Two years of control left. And then Corbin Burns has just been amazing. Cy Young winner, one year of control left from the Brewers. Those are the top two options. Shane Bieber is another guy from the Cleveland Guardians. Not the same pitcher he used to be, right? He used to throw in the upper 90s. Now he's like 91. But he is at driveline, training this offseason, trying to get some velocity back. So if Bieber can come back to even like 93, 94 on the fastball, his other stuff is still really good. Now he only has one year of control left. But knowing the Guardians, it'll probably be a fairly cheap trade. He's another guy. I look at the Angels, Patrick Sandoval over there, Griffin Canning, and Jose Suarez. If they decide to kind of tear it down a little bit now that they didn't get Otani back, those are certainly some candidates. Tyler Glasnow of the Rays. I'm not sure the Rays would trade Glasnow to the Orioles, and I don't think the Orioles would trade their top prospects to the Rays. And also, Glasnow is making $25 million next year in the final year of his deal. Don't think Johnny Boy, uh, John Angelos is going to pay that. So those are some of the other, I would say, main targets out there. And there are other pieces that are going to come up from some teams that might decide they want to deal guys away. I mean, even from the White Sox, Michael Kopech could be another guy who the White Sox might want to trade away if they are really, you know, tearing things down. Paul Blackburn, a right-hander from the Oakland A's, is really like the last notable player that could be traded that is worth anything on Oakland's roster right now. He's a guy who did come off an injury last year, but can eat innings and is, you know, somewhat similar to a right-handed Cole Irvin, kind of, you know, maybe a little higher ceiling, but those are definitely some names that are out there in terms of the trades. Adit's with a question here. If Yamamoto doesn't sign by the end of the first week of January, could the Orioles start to focus more on a trade for someone like Braxton Garrett, Shane Bieber, someone in the second tier instead of Cease? The reason why he put Yamamoto in here is most likely the White Sox, the reporting around it from Ken Rosenthal has been, they're going to wait for the top line of the starting pitching market in terms of free agency to die down before they trade Dylan Cease. 
And it's kind of smart, right? You want the teams who are going to pay for the aces that are out there. The Yamamoto's, the Shoto Amanagas, the Blake Snells, the Jordan Montgomery's, obviously Aaron Nola, Shohei Otani are already off the market. But once those guys go, the White Sox want to capitalize on the desperate teams that did not get any of those free agent aces and hope they can get more back. The Orioles could pivot and, you know, to kind of go off of John's question about the starters out there, there's a lot of Marlins guys out there, Braxton Garrett, one of them, maybe Trevor Rogers, maybe an Edward Cabrera you can go and get. I could certainly see them pivoting. And if they feel like the cease asking price is too high, which right now, I think the Dodgers and Reds, those asking prices that were reported there, like the Dodgers trade started with Bobby Miller, their top pitching prospect. Those two teams were feeling like, wow, the White Sox are asking for a lot. And hopefully the White Sox still aren't just asking for Jackson Holiday or bust. Hopefully they've taken that down a little bit. But I could see the O's thinking that's too much to give up for Dylan Cease and definitely pivoting to one of those guys like a Shane Bieber or a Braxton Garrett type guy question from dental office you think if the lease goes on a month-to-month basis that means john angelos isn't selling the team i can't imagine somebody buying the team with only a month-to-month lease thoughts if he's going to sell the team and we'll get to this more later in the week i'll just say if he's going to sell the team it's going to be after peter angelos dies and i think it would be after a lease is signed anyway so i'm not sure that factors in as much at this point Question from Jose here. Why haven't they made a move for a frontline starting pitcher? Well, in terms of free agency, it's because John Angelos is not willing to spend what it takes to get a frontline starting pitcher. So the Blake Snells, the Aaron Nolas, the Jordan Montgomery's, the Yamamoto's, they're just not going to make that move. In terms of the trade market, some of it is because of what I just talked about. The teams that have pitchers they want to trade away, it seems like are going to wait until the top free agent starters have already signed before they trade those guys away to hope they get more desperate teams. And then the other side of it is the O's are just trying to work out a right deal, right? And, and a trade takes two sides. Another team has to accept it. And I'm sure early in the offseason, the asking price is super high because a team can always lower it a little bit if they'd like to. And some of it's because I'm sure the Oros don't really want to trade away, you know, a lot of their top prospects. Let's get to a couple more questions here. Adit with another one. Could Rubenstein, meaning David Rubenstein, who was rumored to be uh, in talks to buy the Orioles last week, could Rubenstein come in first as a minority owner with an acceleration to a majority after? I'm not the biggest expert on this, but I would think no, just because if he came in as a minority owner, owner, that would probably still be while Angelos was the majority owner. And I wouldn't think Angelos would bring anyone in who's looking to unseat him because you know he likes having that power. So I can't imagine that would happen. Question from Chris, is Kevin Brown remaining with the Orioles as a commentator? I think so. And I got to say the way the entire Kevin Brown saga played out last year when he stated a fact on the air and then John Angelo suspended him for more than a week and then brought him back. And then uh, Kevin Brown put out a hostage situation statement on Twitter, which was clearly written by Greg Bader, one of John Angelo's henchmen in the front office. You know, he, I would think, knows he was wronged in this situation, and he knows he was treated very very unfairly. But Kevin Brown is someone who has, you know, kind of settled down in Baltimore, has a family here as well, just had his first child um, early in the offseason too. And I'm sure some of that factored into the decision that is, hey, you know, I've kind of put some roots down here in Baltimore on the voice of a burgeoning major league team. I'm going to do what I can to keep this job. And that's why he kind of kept his mouth shut and said what the team wanted him to say. And that would make me think he should be back with the Orioles next year. 
Let's see. We've got a lot of good questions here. Continue to send in those questions here for our live mailbag. Interesting one from Chris here. What is your favorite Orioles topic to talk about? If you listen to the podcast, it probably seems like my favorite topic to talk about is the um, just dumb stuff that John Angelos does. And I get a kick out of that, but it's not my favorite thing to talk about because it's usually a negative around the Orioles. And I don't like to talk about a negative around the Orioles. I like to talk about a positive around the Orioles. Honestly, my favorite thing about the podcast is kind of finding why the Orioles acquired a player. Generally, when it's someone on waivers or a minor league deal or someone for a a smaller contract, right? Digging into the numbers and finding why exactly they signed this guy. Like, oh, that's an interesting stat. Like when the Orioles claimed Tucker Davidson off waivers from the Royals earlier this offseason, you're looking at his numbers, you're like, he was terrible for the Kansas City Royals. Why are they doing this? And you dig deeper, deeper and you say, oh, this changeup that he found last year was actually elite when he threw it. The Orioles are going to make him throw it more, and maybe he could be a serviceable big league reliever. I kind of like doing things like that, but otherwise I like talking about wins. Wins are fun to recap, especially when the season gets going. Way too early predictions on the Orioles' draft choices for 2024. They'll probably take hitters early. They always take hitters early. Um, They're going to draft in a pretty good spot here. They have picks 22, 32, and 34 to begin the 2024 draft. I would guess two hitters and a pitcher. That's kind of their usual thing. Maybe two pitchers and a hitter, but I would think a hitter goes, and a college hitter as well. It's usually college players that they're taking with that first pick. I I know the top names at the top of next year's draft. Uh, We're going to have to wait until college baseball season kicks off for me to get ready for who's going to be there in the 20s. Next question from Michael. If there was one free agent that you see the Orioles signing, who is it? I've kind of been attached to the name Hyunjin Ryu for a while. You know, been around with the Dodgers and the Blue Jays, veteran left-hander, crafty guy, doesn't have the craziest stuff, but he throws strikes. He gets people out. He can eat innings. I just feel like when they don't get the trade they want, they're not spending the money, they bring in Ryu on like a one-year, $12 million deal, put him in as the four or five starter, and kind of go from there. Next question from Patrick. Any chance they bring Aaron Hicks back? I actually think yes. I think at this point, you know, Kyle Gibson has already signed his one-year deal with the Cardinals. The Orioles had five impending free agents. Now they're down to four. It's Aaron Hicks. It's Jack Flaherty. It's Shintaro Fujinami and Adam Frazier. I would put Aaron Hicks at the top of that list of four as most likely to re-sign with the Orioles. Mike Elias has talked about how it's possible. He said that they're most likely not going to sign a hitter, but if they do, it would probably be a right-handed hitting outfielder. Now, Aaron Hicks is a switch hitting outfielder, but he does hit from the right side. He was awesome with the Orioles last year and would be huge insurance for any of the young guys struggling or the other guys getting hurt. Like Austin Hayes gotten hurt a lot. Cedric Mullins got hurt a lot this year. And Anthony Santander, he's been healthy recently, but generally in his career has gotten hurt a lot. I think Aaron Hicks would be a perfect backup option to bring in on a one-year cheap deal. And remember, The Yankees are still paying Aaron Hicks a ton of money next year. So the O's can just bring him in on basically like $700,000, which is basically the league minimum. And he can still make a bunch of money from the Yankees. Ravori Sports Podcast asks, will Anthony Santander or Cedric Mullins be traded? I think before they hit free agency, I think at least one of them does get dealt. I'm going to say no Santander trade this offseason. I'm going to say a Mullins trade happens next offseason. I think it's going to be tough to swallow, but I just I feel like the Orioles don't see him as a guy who they're going to extend. They've loved having him, but 
some of his tools don't fit into exactly what the Orioles like. He wasn't a Michael Elias draft pick. I feel like they might try to deal him next offseason because then he'd be going into the final year of his contract in 2025. Good question here from Jackson. What is your most anticipated spring training battle? This is pretty good. It's all going to depend on what happens with the roster here. But I would start with like what the non-gunner infield in terms of shortstop, second base, third base looks like. Because Gunner's going to be in there every day. Now he'll play a lot of short. He'll play a lot of third. He's going to be on the left side of the infield every day. Who grabs hold of those other spots, right? Can Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias stay alive? Does Jordan Westberg and Jackson Holiday just lock down those spots? Does someone like Kobe Mayo or Joey Ortiz kind of jump up there and say, hey, don't forget about me or even a Connor Norby as well? I'm really interested to see how the non-Gunner Henderson infield plays out in spring training. Another question from Dental Office, will they extend John Means? Remember, John Means is the other big name besides Anthony Santander, unless you want to count Danny Coulomb in this group as well, and Ryan O'Hearn, who is a free agent after the 2024 season. I actually think among all of the candidates for an extension, John Means is the most likely to get an extension with the Orioles. I think because he's coming off the Tommy John, he looks like a little bit of a different pitcher. And this could change, right, if he looks like vintage John Means and and really dominates throughout the 2024 season now that he's fully healthy back in the O's rotation. But I could see him being fairly cheap where if they can get him for, you know, maybe a, a two-year and $30 million extension, maybe they would put that together like early in the 2024 season and just get him for two extra years because it'd be really good to have at least at the back end of your rotation. If I had to guess, I'd say no, but I think the chances would be close enough to 50% where it, it it definitely could happen. T. Reaper just says maybe Giolito. I'm assuming that's asking about, hey, the possibility of Lucas Giolito being an Oriole. Obviously, the last couple of years for Giolito have not been nearly as good as they were before that, but he could be a good bounce-back candidate. He's got good stuff, and the Orioles have the staff now where they can get the most out of pitchers. I think Giolito is the one free agent who the, I could see the Orioles giving a multi-year deal to. Like, they haven't given out many multi-year deals. Actually, they haven't given out any at all. I think Giolito's the one guy who they could get for like a two-year, 35-ish million dollar deal who they would bring in and, and try and get him back to his old ways. Chris Silver with another good one. Do the Orioles win 95 games or more next year? I'm going to say no, actually. The AL East is getting better. Yankees got Juan Soto. They're going after Yamamoto. The Red Sox are spending a little bit. The Blue Jays did not get Otani, but they're going to now spend some money because they didn't. And the Rays are going to be the Rays as usual. Now, I still think the O's are going to be a playoff team, still going to be right in the AL East race. And I think they will win more than 90 games, but I'm predicting like a 93-win season at this point for the Orioles. So I'll say no for 95. Let's see, we got a lot of good questions here in the chat, kind of scrolling through some of these to get to a few more before we wrap things up here. And another question from Jose here. Do the O's believe in their minor league depth that they won't trade for an ace starting pitcher? I don't think it's about the depth. I think it's more about not wanting to give up their top prospects in that trade. Now, I think they believe in Cade Povich and Chase McDermott, their top two pitching prospects in the minor leagues right now. I would hope they are not counting on those guys to step in and be solid big league starters this year. I think they more so believe in the major league depth, right? Like, if they don't make a move for a starter at all right now, you have Kyle Bradish one, Grayson Rodriguez, two, John Means, three, Dean Kramer, four, and then D.L. Hall, 
Cole Irvin and Tyler Wells fighting out for the number five spot with the other two going into the major league bullpen. I think they believe more in that depth that like, hey, we have three guys for our number five spot without making a move at all. I think that depth actually factors in more if they don't get an ace more so than the current minor league depth that they have. Question here, Santander included in a package for a pitcher maybe to Cleveland and Heston Kerstad replaces his role. I still think it's possible the Orioles trade Santander. I don't think they should do it. If they do, I think Heston Kerstad most certainly would just slip into Santander's role. Although I don't see Santander going to Cleveland, and that's probably for two reasons here. One is it is kind of odd to trade for the guy who you had in the minor league system. Remember when the Orioles went and got Santander in the 2016 Rule 5 draft, it was drafting him out of the Guardian system. And also for Cleveland, they're probably looking for bats who are more controllable because they don't spend a lot of money and they need offense. Santander is a free agent after next season. I don't know if they would go after a guy like that as much when they're probably looking for more controllable guys. Question from Joe here. Not an Orioles question, but a good one to get to. You may have talked about it, but the Otani deal, is the Otani deal bad for baseball? I don't think so. I mean, the deferrals are weird, right? The fact that he can make $2 million per year over the 10 years and then make $68 million per year over the next 10 years when he might not even be playing for the Dodgers anymore. I think the league might try and do something to cut down on this type of big-time deferrals. But at the end of the day, his competitive balance tax hit is still $46 million per year for the Dodgers, which is still the, the biggest hit of any player in baseball. So they're still going to be penalized for the amount of money they're giving out at this current time. And I think in general for a player to get $700 million and for Otani to go to the Dodgers, I think it's good for Major League Baseball as a whole, right? Like, yeah, as you know, the fans that are, and, and the Sesame's Family Barbecue guys on their podcast earlier this week or, or maybe at the end of last week did a good job talking about this. Like, if you are the hardcore fan watching every day, like a lot of us here, yeah, it's annoying that all the Dodgers are already really good and Otani's going there now, but, you know, they've only won one, is it really real, World Series in this stretch, so it's not like they've dominated in the postseason. But on the flip side, it's like getting Otani, who's this popular, on maybe probably the second most popular team at this moment behind the Yankees in Major League Baseball, I think is a good thing for the growth of the league. And I'm interested to see, like, can Otani get them over to the hump to actually win a full season championship? Let's see. We got some more questions here. Ryu would be good for the Orioles. Not a question, but Rust with a comment. Yeah, I think, you know, that would be a... Uh, definitely one here. Rust also saying, I hope they bring back Hicks and Fuji. I probably less so see Fuji because they already went and got Craig Kimbrell, but it's not a terrible idea. And here's a question from Milo. Any shot of a Sintaro Fujinami reunion? An offseason of him with the pitching lab sounds incredible. I think there's a shot. Again, as I said, number one on that list would be Aaron Hicks. I would say number two most likely to bring back in terms of the Orioles free agents would be Fujinami. If he would be able to accept like a, you know, a one year, two or three million dollar deal, a very cheap major league deal, maybe even a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. If he wasn't getting the money he wanted looking elsewhere, I think the O's liked the stuff. That's why they went out and got him before the deadline last year. He just needs to hone in that command. I think it would be really good for him to be working with the Orioles people over the offseason. It's a Milo. I'll say it's a possibility. I wouldn't rule it out at all. Just less likely now that they've gotten Kimbrel. And Elias has said we might get one more reliever, but we're mostly focused on starting pitching at this point. Let's see. We've got a question from Robert here. What kind of fielder is Heston Kerstad? I think he's fine out there, right? He'll never play center field. He's fine in a corner. 
It's just he hasn't played a lot out there in the big leagues, and when the Orioles called him up in mid-September trying to win a division, they weren't going to risk it by putting him out there when they had Hayes and Hicks and Mullins and those guys on the roster already in Santander. He'll play more outfield in 2024, and I think we'll get a better picture of how good of a defender he really is. Just a couple more questions here that we'll get to to finish off this live mailbag edition. Adit with another one here. What would a proper trade value package be for Bieber and then for James Karinczak and Emmanuel Classe? It's tough for Classe. I would love to get Classe. And there was those talks earlier this offseason that the Guardians were maybe looking to trade their all-star closer who's under a really team-friendly and long extension. It would take a lot to get Class A, like some top, top prospects. Karinczak, not so much, but honestly, I don't want James Karinczak. He's really fallen off the last couple of years. He was like the number one sticky stuff guy. And when they got rid of the sticky stuff, Karinczak's numbers fell off a cliff. Now, he came back a little bit this year. He's also not a good guy, and I don't think players like him in the locker room very much. I'd stay away from him. A trade value package for Bieber, I actually don't think it would be that expensive. Yes, Shane Bieber used to be an all-star and an ace, He's a little below that now, and he's only got one year of team control. I think if you could throw towards the Guardians, like, I don't know, a, a Connor Norby type packaged in with a a Judd Fabian, maybe could get Shane Bieber away from the Guardians. Like, maybe it would take a little bit more. You know, maybe it would take a higher value prospect. Maybe a one-for-one Colton Kowser for Shane Bieber could even get it done. But I don't think it would be like some crazy deal you'd have to do to get Shane Bieber like it would have been a couple years ago. A couple more questions here from Dave. What about Mitch Keller and David Bednar to the O's? I would love that trade. Mitch Keller kind of broke out uh, for the Pirates at the start of this year. David Bednar, one of the better relievers in baseball. That would be a heck of a move for the Orioles to do. That would take a lot, a lot for the Orioles to go get that. Those two guys have a lot of team control. The Pirates are on the upswing a little bit. It would take a lot to pry those two guys from Pittsburgh, but that would be an awesome deal. Questions from Jose and PJ right here basically saying, hey, will Jackson Holiday be in the opening day starting lineup? I have said no because I think the Orioles are going to mess with the service time a little bit, say he needs more work defensively at second base, put him in Norfolk for three weeks, and then maybe call him up in May. But he'll still be a big part of the Orioles team in 2024. And then last question is one I like. You know, this is more of a personal one. From Patrick here to finish off the live mailbag. What are your goals? You're really good at this stuff. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, my goals are to put out a really, really good daily, or at least you know, right now in the offseason, we're at three days a week. But in February, we'll go back to five days a week. But a really, really good daily Orioles podcast that both covers the team, gets you the news, recaps the games, gets you what you need to know every morning after a game is played once that season starts. But also to provide good analysis and I give my opinion on this team as well. This is not just like a, a straight news show. Like, as you know, especially when I talk about guys like John Angelos, I want to give my opinion. But my goals are to put out a good product that you all enjoy. And honestly, for me to have fun. Because if I stop enjoying this, like, this is not my full-time job. If I stop enjoying this, I will probably give it up. But I still love it. You all seem to like it. Thank you all for your support. And thank you all for jumping in on this live mailbag today. Make sure to rate and review us wherever you listen. If you're listening to this afterwards, still a really good mailbag episode. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the Locked on Orioles podcast on YouTube as well. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Locked on Orioles. Make sure to follow us on TikTok. We are on TikTok now. TikTok, yeah. We are Gen Zing it up on the Locked on Orioles podcast 
at locked.on.orioles over there. And remember, we are back to three days a week for the rest of the offseason. So at least one more episode coming up later this week, but we'll be back on Thursday. we got some guests coming on the pod. We're going to talk Orioles lease. What is the latest update and what happens next, especially if nothing gets signed by December 31st, which kind of looks like is going to be the case at this point. Again, that's coming up and we are back on Thursday. But until then, I am Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast. Your team, everyone.